Hi, it's Carolina. I'm so excited that you could join us on the City Point Redcliffe podcast. We're about to go into a message that I delivered recently, and I hope that it encourages you, it inspires you, and it launches you further in your walk with Jesus. That's my heart for you as you listen. If it does encourage you, why not share it with someone who you think could do with hearing it as well? And subscribe so that you don't miss any of the messages that are uploaded every single week. For now, sit back, enjoy, and I hope that you get blessed. Well, welcome. Welcome to the second Sunday that we've been together for the year. And we had amazing services this morning. And this theme, Upper Room, is such a powerful theme. And, and tonight I'm going to share, and I pray that I just completely bypass your cognitive function and just go straight to the heart of the matter. I pray that we can engage on a level that, you know, sometimes the things of God don't make sense in our head. They resonate here, and that's where the pursuit happens, is deep on the inside. And the theme upper room, for those of you who may not be familiar with it, it, it's, it's around that concept where after Jesus ascended and went back to heaven, his disciples were gathered in a room just like this. It was actually probably a meeting just like this. And they were waiting because he said, wait, wait for the helper who's going to come. They had no idea what or who they were actually waiting for, but they were waiting. They're probably afraid, but they were obedient and they were waiting in faith. They were waiting in expectation. They knew something was coming. Something was going to take place. Does anyone else feel that? Just me. Does anyone else feel that? God wants to do something. God wants to do something. And so there's a group of people meeting in an upper room waiting, and the Holy Spirit came. We see the baptism of the Holy Spirit, fire fall. And so tonight, I don't want to share specifically out of that until the very end, but I want to share on the concept of the secret place. The concept of the secret place. Henry Nguyen said, you cannot be a spiritual person without the discipline of solitude. we think about that in the life that we're in, so busy. Anyone else busy? Got a full schedule tomorrow? Got a full schedule all week? But the truth is we cannot even pretend to be spiritual if we don't still ourselves and connect with God. We cannot. We cannot. We can put on badges and labels. We can call ourselves Christians We can say we're spirit-led, but how are we spirit-led unless we're taking time out to connect with the spirit? It's not possible. You're actually lying to me. I cannot be a spiritual person without the discipline of solitude. And it's hard in this generation when it's so easy to pick up a phone and do this on social media. It's so hard. Solitude is a foreign concept to us. But I want to tell you, and I pray that at the end of the next few moments we have together, you have a hunger for it. Because it is the source. It's where we go to the source. It's where we tap into what we're so craving and what we're so needing. And so what I want to do is journey through the Bible. And I have six different moments, six different characters in chronological order and how they appear in the Bible around the secret place and and different ways to cultivate a secret place with God. And the first one is out of the story of Abraham, the father of the faith, the guy that God said, hey, you, for no other reason other than just because I pick you. 
And that's how I felt, felt when God found me. I'm like, I, there is nothing that qualifies me for the gracious hand of God to pluck me out of my circumstance. I relate to Abraham. I did nothing for God to notice me. I did nothing for him to go dysfunction out of dysfunction. I did nothing for that. And so here we have this man who is the father of the faith, the first man of our faith, and, and God calls him to himself and he responds. And I see when I read the account of Abraham, he did these things almost habitually. They were like default responses. He built altars. He built altars. Everywhere he went that was significant, he would build an altar there. And he would worship God there. He built memorial stone type situations often and regularly. Everything was significant to him. We need to be careful that we don't just rush through life and that we don't just brush things aside. Taking the time to actually build altars and worship, he dug wells. He dug wells. We need to go deeper. We need to go deeper. We need to stop playing in the shadows and in the shallows and go deeper. This was a man who built space. He built space for the presence of God. He built altars. He dug wells. He planted trees. He did things that would outlast him, that were symbolic. We need these moments where we're actually building space. One of my favorite accounts in the Bible is the Shunammite woman who just had a normal house, but she extended her home for the prophet to come and stay in. She didn't know when he would come, if he would come but she made room. We need to build space for these moments with God. We need to make room for these moments with God. We have to build altars, plant trees, dig wells, things that will surpass us. One of my favorite authors and one of my favorite quotes, current evangelicalism, say that 10 times really fast, has laid the altar and divided the sacrifice into parts but now it seems satisfied just to count the stones and rearrange the pieces with never a care that there isn't a sign of fire on the top of lofty Mount Carmel. But God be thanked that at City Point Redcliffe, there are a few who do care. They are those who, while they love the altar and are delighted with the sacrifice, they're unable to reconcile themselves to the continued absence of the fire. We build spaces for the fire of God to fall. We don't build altars so that we can have pretty altars. We don't lay out sacrifices so we can say, look at me and my badge of honor. We do it for the fire to fall. And there are those of us who will do anything we can to build an altar and lay out a sacrifice and wait for the fire to fall. And I'm wondering how many will join me in that hunger the fire will fall. The psalmist says, every morning I wake up and lay out the pieces of my life on the altar waiting for the fire to fall. Every morning. I'm just putting it out there, God. Come and do with it what you will. We need to build spaces for the fire. Number two, one of my favorite, favorite characters in the Bible is Joshua. Joshua was Moses' assistant. Moses was the man of God. Moses was the guy with the inside information, not Joshua. Moses was the guy who walked with God. Moses was the guy who was God's friend. Joshua was his assistant. 
But what we read in this account of his life, I love it. I actually want to read it with you in Exodus 33. Whenever Moses went out to the tent of meeting, all the people would get up. All the people, we're talking 1.5 million Israelites, would get up and watch their priest, watch their leader, watch their deliverer approach the presence of God. He was the only one who could. And they would watch him from the entrances of their tents. They would watch him until he disappeared inside. And as he went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come and hover hover over the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. When the people saw the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they would stand and bow in front of their own tents. Inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one who speaks with a friend. Afterward, Moses would return to camp, but the young but the young man who assisted him, Joshua, the son of Nun, would remain behind at the tent of meeting. We have to linger longer. Linger longer. We have to wait. Everyone else is gone. Everyone else is gone. Even Moses is done. But there's one guy who hangs around. This is the one guy that led the people into the promised land. This is the one guy who had the fire of God inside him and could lead a whole nation after his leader moved on. He lingered. He hung back. And I love as a, being a leader watching who lingers. I always look, who's lingering? Who's waiting in the presence of God? Who's standing when no one else is standing? Who's kneeling when everyone's gone? One of my closest friends, one of the pastors in in a church on the Sunshine Coast, he is so fiery. He's so passionate. He's like like a jump up and down kind of guy, moves in the spirit. And I've known him for many, many years, and he invited me to share... um, to serve in his church one Sunday. We went out for lunch later, and for the first time, I heard a bit more about his story. As a young man, his family broke down, single mum raising him, and he was tormented, mentally tormented. He was struggling as a young man, 10, 11 years old. And the pastor's wife found out that he was struggling in this way. She gave him a key to the church at 11 years of age. And he would come night after night, he reckons, for five years alone when no one was in the church building and prayed on his face alone. And one day it broke. One day his torment left. And I said to him, and we all just thought you were born this passionate? Why don't you tell people this story? But this is the truth. There's no such thing as an overnight whatever. We have to linger. We have to linger. We have to immerse ourselves when no one else is. God sees when no one else sees. I'm wondering who's going to pray alone? Who's going to pray alone? I wonder who is here when I'm not here. God knows. God knows. We need to linger longer. The third one, King David. King David, beautiful, beautiful King David. They say there's never been a leader, no one before him like him, no one after. Amazing man of God. And what I love about David is that he went through these transitions in life, but he was first and foremost a worshiper. 
in the hills with the sheep. When his brothers and his dad overlooked him, he was unimportant. He was nobody. He was the guy with the sheep. He had his harp and he was writing songs to the Lord. Worshipping when no one's looking, just the sheep hearing. He went from a worshipper to a giant slayer. Then someone who could train other giant slayers to a king. And what I love is when he became king, the very first office that he instituted in his administration was worship. The first thing he put in as king was a worship team. You know why? My point here is, it's where we have warfare training is in the secret place. Warfare training happens in your secret place with God. You will not be able to stand against Goliath without former training. And you get that training in the secret place with God. Because when he stood before Saul and he said, let me take the giant, Saul was like, you're too scrawny, you're too young. And he's like, no, 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 because God's trained me in the hidden place. God's trained me in the hidden place. Warfare training. And when he instituted worship, he brought back worship to a nation. What he had done in the secret, he was able to institute in public and turn a nation around and bring victory and bring the presence of God back into a nation that had fallen away from God. But we're trained in the secret place, in warfare training. Number four, Daniel. We're just moving through super fast. Daniel, I love this guy. If you want to know what to do in your school in this current culture, read Daniel. If you want to know what to do in your back to front workplace right now, read Daniel. If you want to know what to do in a current political system we're in, read Daniel. This amazing guy, this amazing guy served several ungodly kings and he was promoted time after time after time without compromising without watering anything down. In fact, his life was risked many, many times. But I want to tell you that he got heavenly downloads in those devotions, in those times, in those secret places. Some of us face problems that we can't fix on our own. We need answers we don't have. We need answers that we can't get anywhere in this realm, not in the natural realm, not in this world. And early in his career, the king wanted to kill all of, all of his wise men and all of his wise counsel, and Daniel was one of them. And he heard about it, and he's like, oh, no, quick, get me an audience with the king. He didn't have the answer yet. I love this. I'm a little bit like this. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing, but let's go. So he's like, let me talk to the king. And he meets with the king, and he's like, I'll get the answer for you. One minute, and he races back, and he's got a couple of friends who are just like him, and he says, we need to pray. So he tells the king, I know the answer to your solution before he even has the answer to the solution. And what does he do? He locks himself away and prays, and in prayer receives a download, a heavenly download, and he's able then to walk into the presence of the king with this strategy, with this solution, and save a whole bunch of people. We get heavenly downloads in the secret place. That thing that you're wrestling with, that answer that you're needing, that wrestle that you're in, you just need to find yourself here. 
you're not smart enough to figure this out. You're not. And no one around you is either. But this is where the download happens. This is where the strategy comes. I can't tell you how many times it's happened here. How many times? I wake up the next day and I know exactly what to do. I know exactly which way to go, have peace. I've had my breakthrough. And up until this point, I'm a mess. I'm trying to figure it out. I'm asking people. I'm, and, and I just hear the Holy Spirit say, you haven't even come to me yet. Oh, that's right. Anyone like me? We probably need to do this a lot more often. In fact, Dave, uh, Daniel did it several times a day. He would lock himself away to pray. This is where the download happens, here. And it's only when you can kneel, it's only when you receive the answer on your knees that you can stand in the presence of your opposition, of your struggle, and bring your answer. But the other thing about Daniel is that he had to defy culture. It was defiant devotion. Because he actually was, it was illegal to pray. It was illegal to pray. And when that law came in and he found out about it, do you know what he did? He prayed. And he left the doors of his house open and the windows of his house open. I love that the Bible leaves that detail in. He went and prayed with the windows open. And there were spies who had it in for him and caught him. And he was sentenced to death and God rescued him out of it. It's defiant devotion. It's defiant devotion. We are in a day now where the world is trying to stop you from adoring God, from praying, from standing for the things of the kingdom. I'm just so passionate to lead a church who will just defy all that. Oh, it's very quiet in here. Number five, recharge retreats, Jesus. All through the Gospels. It says that Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. He did it a lot. And I figure if God needs to do it, like if the Son of God needs to do it, I probably need to do it. Where he would pull away, before he picked his disciples, he spent the whole night in prayer. When he was agonizing, when he was having an anxiety attack before the cross, he went to prayer. When he was, any time he was drained, he went to prayer. And he would draw away from the crowds. He would pull away and pray. It was his moment of recharge, refocus, Remind it where the, where the father would remind him of his purpose, of his identity, of the power that he was moving in, these recharge retreats. And you know, the enemy will do anything he can to stop you from these retreats so that you're not ever recharged. So you're running on empty all the time, running on your own strength. Imagine running in the strength of the Lord. Imagine running in an overflow. All of us have a lot on our plates, and we just actually need to put the plate to the side and pull away with God and be recharged in Him. Recharged. And finally, 
getting back to our upper room, the remnant revival. The beginning of COVID when we all got shut down, I was in Isaiah and there was this tiny little passage that just jumped off the page to me and it said, a remnant will return. And I loved that. I thought that was so cool. So I framed it and I put it up in my house until I realized what a remnant was. Oh, it's like a much smaller group of people. But it says a remnant will return. And what I've realized is God has only ever used remnants. He's only ever used individuals and remnants. And here in the upper room in Acts is a remnant of people, 150 people out of a whole city. And they come and they wait and they pray together. They pray together and the Spirit of God falls. And that remnant, unskilled, untrained in the things of God, just moving in obedience and faith, but now anointed by the power of God, turned cities around. 150 people immediately saw 3,000 people come to Christ. 150 people went out and turned cities around and redefined culture for all of history now because of that remnant revival. That remnant revival, that small group of people who gathered together. You know, there's so much importance on solitude and alone, but we also come together as a remnant. We also come together having been inspired, having heard, having seen, and we come together and we join our faith together and the fire falls on us and then we turn outward. Let me read Acts to you. Let me read it to you. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, it wasn't suddenly. They'd been there for days. It wasn't suddenly. There was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm and it filled the house where they were sitting. And then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each one of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them ability. Why don't you stand to your feet tonight? God has only ever used individuals and remnants. I think we're always waiting for the majority. We're always waiting to run with the pack. We're always waiting to be in with the majority. I want to tell you, you plus God are the majority. That's all you need. I have to honour Tom, the amount of times that I've seen him stand alone. Who's going to stand alone? And who's going to gather with just a few people, a few crazy people who believe that God wants to do something. Are there any in the room tonight who are saying, I'm going to pull away to my secret place. I'm going to go to my olive grove the way that Jesus did. I'm going to defy the world in my devotion. I'm going to pull away. I'm going to train for warfare in the secret place with God when no one's watching. I'm going to train for warfare because I know there's a war out there and I'm going to face it. When no one else can and no one else will, I'll be able to. Is there anyone like that? I want to read you something I wrote a few years ago. It was about this time of the year, a couple of years ago. And I got a download and I just want to read it to you. Will you close your eyes and just receive tonight? It's called The Unusual Ones. 
It's the voice of God. Who are they and where are they? Those who desire my voice, who seek my face and break through to the chambers of heaven. Who are the desperate ones who pour over the scriptures so they can hear my voice, who dig the wells of the Spirit, who dwell on their knees, pleading for an encounter and a touch. I'm seeking those ones. I'm searching for them as I always have. But these are the days when their cry is all the more piercing in the heavenly realms. They are the unusual ones, the ones willing to pay a price on their knees. They will not be disappointed. My heart is turned towards them. I am searching the earth for them as they search for me. Where are they, those ones who are not satisfied by the world? Those refusing the pollutants of their day, denying shallow gratifications and earthly appetites, the ones who are yearning for more, where are they? The ones setting themselves apart, the ones crying out on, in their hearts, the unusual ones, the set apart ones, the marked ones, the hungry ones, the brave ones, the seeing ones, the bold ones, the yearning, praying, tasting ones, where are they? hiding themselves in my shadow, where are they? Wrestling to attain, warring until they're filled, captivated, enthralled, seeing, knowing, understanding, where are they? My ear is drawn, my spirit is near, my, my presence inhabits, my answers are whispered into their yielding hearts, my power is manifest, my glory is revealed to those ones, the unusual ones filled, healed, sent. They will see me. I will meet them. I'm coming to them. I'm coming through them. I am their great reward. Because they have not been satisfied with anything else, I will be their reward. Thank you for listening. We pray that this message inspires you to unmistakably influence your world for good and for God. Go ahead and share it with a friend. And can I invite you to connect with us on one of our many social media platforms as well? Most importantly, if you made a decision to follow Jesus, I want to say congratulations. This is the beginning of a life-changing journey. We'd love to see you at one of our many City Point Church services around the world this Sunday. And you can find out more about our service times and locations at citypointchurch.com. We would be so thrilled to see you there.